I'd love for you to turn your Bible with me this morning uh, to the second half of 1 Corinthians 7 that we began looking at last week. Uh, We are in this series, Messy Church, looking at uh, the church in Corinth, the letter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. And we're finishing up today kind of a mini-series within that series that we have been going through the past three weeks on uh, Christian sexual ethic, how we live out our sexuality under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, marriage and how husbands and wives should live within this relationship that God has given us. And we saw that healthy marriages and healthy relationships require selflessness and time together, intimacy, and, and lifelong commitment. And as we come out of that, now moving into uh, this topic of singleness, uh, we see that Christianity has historically had a very high view of marriage. Uh, And I believe that the Bible teaches that committed lifelong unions between a man and a woman strengthens not just our families and our church, but even society as a whole. But I also want to recognize that because sometimes marriage is so held so highly, that as we turn our attention to singleness this morning, that to be single is at times even subtly communicated or perceived to be uh, something that is lacking. Uh, I heard one guy who uh, was kind of sick of feeling like this less than because he was single, and so he started when he was asked the question, are you still single, began to answer people, well, are you still married? And he just kind of, you have this feeling sometimes as a single person that you are viewed as you know, like you'll, you'll get there eventually. You know, eventually you'll get married and then you'll be complete. But there's nothing about marriage that completes us. And to be single is not to be lesser than. And so as we turn our attention to singleness this morning, I mentioned last week that, you know, roughly one of these two sermons, about 50% is going to apply to you. You're, you're either married or you're single. And so I appreciate those of you who are married here today, knowing that we are talking about singleness this week, that are still here, because we want to, just as we supported our married couples last week in that teaching, we want to support the singles around us as well. Because together, as we, as a body of both married and single people, work together, we have a testimony, and we have a witness to the world around us, regardless of whatever our marital or relational status might be. And so as we look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I hope that we can give a new perspective or maybe even a new appreciation for singleness. And just in an effort to kind of define our terms this morning, by single, uh, biblically speaking, I simply mean to be not married. And so maybe you're seriously dating somebody or maybe you're engaged and so you are taken for our purposes today. Uh, But we also want to recognize that without marriage, that there is still an element of uh, something that is different uh, about your relational status. And so we recognize today a lot of different kinds of singleness represented in this room. There are those who maybe have never been married or engaged couples or uh, maybe you are are divorced and are now single that you didn't used to be or a widow or widower who for many years, decades even, lived out a long faithful marriage but now find yourself as a single person. And whatever the station that you find yourself in this morning, I hope that all of us, even those who are married today, can be encouraged by what God has to say about singleness and the truths that we learn this morning. So I want to give you three kind of brief truths about singleness that I hope will be an encouragement to you today. The first is this, that singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. And I know I know this sounds like something that a married preacher would say. I mean, like we talked so highly about marriage last week that we have to kind of find some positive spin on singleness. And so it sounds like marketing for me to say this, but truly, uh, singleness can be a gift. 
Uh, to be fair, singleness is often thought of, though, like I said, as a lesser status. It's something that everybody has to go through. It's kind of necessary evil until we find that special someone. And it's not surprising that single people often feel this way. I mean, it's been that way for a long time. One rabbi who lived about the same time as Jesus said, Any man who has no wife is no proper man. The Jewish Talmud goes even further and says, The man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. And it's easy to have these perspectives that kind of creep in, even into the church. That you might think the way that we talk about singleness in the church might be better, but in many cases, we still kind of subtly communicate to the single people around us that they're almost second-class citizens. I knew of one church group years ago that uh, had a Sunday school class called Pairs and Spares, like married and singles. And, and I, know, I know that somebody was just trying to put a witty name on a Sunday school class, but think about what that communicates. You know, paired up and then spare parts. Uh, unneeded, unnecessary, important, but in a secondary sense. And so as both a preacher and as a pastor, as one who wants to speak to your heart this morning, I, I want to almost lead the charge in repenting in the way that the church as a whole, not, not just our church, but the church at large, has kind of treated singleness in the past. Because what Paul has to say about singleness may surprise us this morning. And I mentioned briefly last week that singleness is a gift and, and just labeled that truth this morning, but it, we see that it, Paul explains that a little bit further this morning. In verse 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, which is to say Paul is single, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And we're not entirely sure what Paul's station was. Uh, having been a previous, uh, previously been a Pharisee, it's likely that he was married at one point. We don't know. Maybe his wife left him when he became a Christian. Maybe she died. Maybe he was never married. But whatever the case, Paul looks at his singleness now as a gift that God has given him. And he does so because certain advantages uh, are offered as a single person. We see him talk about this in verse 25. He says now about virgins, which for his context and purposes, he's speaking of young women who've never been married, uh, single ladies. Uh, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as the one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, this is not a strict command that God has given, but wisdom that we can glean from who he is and what he says. He says in verse 26, Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not ask to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present age and present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. As Paul speaks of singleness as a gift this morning, he kind of gives us two advantages that 
are, are there for people who are single. Uh, the first is this, that single people are spared the troubles of marriage. And I think in part Paul wrote this because he wanted to see generations and generations of married preachers try to squirm their way through this one. I even heard some of you chuckle when I read that verse. Uh, but he says, you know, I, I want you to be free from the troubles in this life. I, I want to spare you some of the troubles of marriage. And I love being married, and I love my wife. And if you're married, you, you probably feel the same way. I hope you feel the same way. Uh, but that, that isn't all, it doesn't mean marriage is always easy. Uh, I mean, to be sure, like I said, the Bible has a high view of marriage. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. But just because marriage is full of blessings, it doesn't mean that it's without its difficulties. And I think it's easy when you are single to think of marriage in kind of these rose-colored glasses. To think, if I were just married, I would be happy. So many of my problems would go away. I would be fulfilled then. I would have purpose then. I would have meaning then if I could just find that person. But even among the best marriages, life is just more complicated. I mean, there's more than one person to consider when making daily decisions. I mean, you're caring for and taking in the well-being of another person, the responsibility of that. If you're a married couple who has children, they too, while being an incredible joy, just add to life's complexities. And so Paul is saying, you know, being married is, is not without its challenges. And, and so don't feel like it's the ultimate goal of your life. He also, though, offers another opportunity of the way that, that singleness can be a gift, is that single people can be of greater service to the kingdom. The Bible takes seriously how Christians should care for their family and their spouses. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What he's saying is if you're a believer, if you're married, part of your faithful duty is to take care of and provide for your family. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. But Paul points out that naturally this kind of leads to a divided devotion. And so he says, when you're single, you're freed up from worrying about all those concerns and can be more devoted to serving the kingdom, more devoted to your relationship with God. Now, I know that for those of you who aren't choosing to be single, saying that you might be freed up to volunteer more for the kingdom and for the church isn't exactly a consolation to you in this moment. But I do want to encourage you that however long you might be single, to use that singleness as a gift and an opportunity to focus on your relationship with God. So singleness is a gift, but I also recognize that singleness, the second truth, singleness is not for everyone. Uh, I saying singleness is a gift. I know that some of you are thinking, I don't want that gift. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a gift you don't want? Uh, my wife, Kelsey, up until this past year, had been an elementary school teacher for 14 years. And so one of the things that's great about being the teacher of an elementary school husband is they get lots of gifts. Uh, a lot of them in the form of chocolate. And my wife is weird and does not like chocolate. So that means I got, kind of through Halloween to the end of the year, a steady supply of chocolate and candies coming my way. But also with that, she also got a lot of mugs and cups, like world's greatest teacher. And I appreciate that her students think that, but we do not need another cup or mug in our house. Like, we don't even drink coffee, and we have mugs upon mugs of teachers and in, in, in teacherisms. And, and so being a teacher who doesn't like chocolate and who doesn't drink coffee, you get a lot of gifts that you don't want. And maybe singleness feels that way to you. For some of you, singleness is not a gift that you want. 
It, maybe you've not found the right person, but it's not for a lack of trying. Or for some, you had the right person and they were gone all too soon for one reason or another. I mean, even God acknowledges that singleness can be difficult. Back in Genesis 2, even in God's perfect creation before sin had entered in the world, he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. And so he created Eve and he, and he ordained marriage in that moment. And so that, while we see that singleness is a gift... It's not necessarily a gift that everyone has. The singleness isn't necessarily for everyone. Paul talks about this in verse 8. He says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay married, Un- say unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 36 says, If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Paul is saying, look, there, there's something to be said for the blessings that come with singleness. But for many, it's just not what they were cut out for. And so for them, singleness might not be the best option. Uh, the primary area, arena that he spoke, speaks, of this, speaks of this and is the idea in the arena of sexual purity. And as we've talked at length over the last month or so, we remember that the culture that Paul is writing to, this culture of Corinth is a culture not really unlike our own. Corinth was a city known for its sexual promiscuity and and even their worship involving prostitution. And so Paul is saying, if if you have the gift of celibacy, if sexual temptation is not a struggle for you, then consider what gains you could have if you were to remain remain single. single. But for those of you who need that, that is not a gift of yours. Celibacy is not a gift of yours. Those of you that need an appropriate outlet for sexual desire, then marriage is the right choice. I think one of the things that we have to get out of our heads as Christians is that sexual desire is a bad thing. God invented sex to bring pleasure and procreation and intimacy when expressed within marriage. And so what I want you to hear this morning is wherever you find yourself as a relational status, is that marriage is not second best and singleness is not second best. But each of us should decide whatever relational status will help us better glorify and obey God. And so Paul is telling us, if sexual struggle is a temptation, then marriage is the better option. And I want to just get practical and maybe in your mind, even a little controversial when I say this, but just, I know the sermon on singleness, but I want to speak to those of you who are married for just a second. Wives, coming from a male perspective, one of the very best things that you can do for your husbands to help them avoid sexual temptation, is to have regular sexual intimacy together. You will have to decide as a couple what that looks like, but regular sexual intimacy within a marriage is a gift that God has given to safeguard our sexual purity. Now, men, this doesn't mean that we throw out everything that we talked about last week, the last few weeks. If you want your wives to be available to you, you have to be available to them relationally. 
That marriage is designed for both a husband and wives to, to meet each other's needs in whatever form that might take. And so, husbands, I want to encourage you to protect your wife's relational purity. In other words, she doesn't look anywhere else for that meaningful personal connection. She doesn't look anywhere else for her emotional fulfillment. And in that way, you protect her heart. And wives, I want to encourage you to protect your husband's sexual purity so that he looks only to you for physical connection. And so by doing, protect his heart. Singleness is not a gift for everyone, but it is something that we should encourage if somebody has that gift, to encourage them that they are not lesser than, and that they have certain advantages, that they can serve the Lord in meaningful ways. And so recognizing that singleness is a gift, but maybe not a gift for everyone, we also see that the third truth, singleness may be temporary. There might be, in your case, if you find yourself described as Paul as one who is better to marry in our second point, maybe for you, singleness is a temporary status right now. And if that's where you're at, I want to spend just a minute encouraging you on how to look for the right person, how to look for the right spouse. I know for some of you here today that singleness is not the right thing for you based on what Paul has just said. And so for maybe for you, singleness is not a permanent relational status. But because Paul recognizes and acknowledges that singleness isn't for everyone, he gives some advice on how we pursue a godly relationship. And so if you're single this morning, I want to encourage you in your pursuit of a spouse to pledge to do things God's way. Verse 39, he says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. The number one thing that Paul says about a prospective spouse is that he or she must belong to the Lord. And I know this sounds like maybe an obvious one in church, but it's really not often the number one thing on the list for even Christians as they look for someone. It's usually, oh, he's cute, or she's got a good body, or we've got a lot of shared interests. He makes a lot of money. She makes me happy. This person is my soulmate. And can we just settle that whole soulmate thing for a second? Like, there's this popular notion in our culture that there is one person out there in the entire, almost 8 billion people in this world that is meant for you. And if you don't find that person, you're just not going to find the right person. But this is actually an idea that comes from Greek mythology. And at some point in history, the myth goes that humans had double of everything, four arms, four legs, two heads, and some god or goddess got angry and split everybody down the middle. And so it's our lot in life to kind of wander around and to find that one person that you were joined to in the beginning. They're, they're your soul match. And since this myth has persisted all these years later, I think what often happens is this subtle way of we get married and we see that natural conflict arises and problems come up. That happens when two people get married and, and have to learn how to be husband and wife and begin to think, oh no, this person's not my soulmate. I married the wrong person because if this person was the person I was supposed to be with, then I just wouldn't have any problems. And so we must just not be meant to be together. But as Christians, we're told that we are to look for a future spouse that belongs to the Lord. To look for someone whose primary allegiance is to their relationship with Jesus. And as you date and as you look for that spouse, I want you to be careful because 70% of our culture will say, yeah, totally, I'm a Christian. Me and Jesus, we're close, we're tight. But the fruit of their lives shows something different. 
And so if you're single this morning and you're looking to find that person that you want to spend your life with, I want to encourage you to find someone who is looking to be God's best and who helps you to be your best for God. I think the question that arises when talking about this ideal is, can you do more for the kingdom being married to this person than you can do on your own? Are you together a better fit for kingdom service than you are as a single person? And as you look for this person, I want to offer you this caution. If you're a Christian, I would encourage you not to even date someone who's not a Christian. There's lots of terms for it, missionary, dating. I heard this one, this one this week, flirt to convert. It made me laugh. And you might think, well, I'm not looking for anything serious. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking to meet some new people. But what invariably happens? You become emotionally connected to where you begin to see a future with that person that has not committed themselves to the same life that you seek to live and the same Lord that you serve. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul will use the phrase that a believer should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And this image that he uses is of a pair of oxen leading a cart. And if one of these oxen is stronger than the other, then they'll have longer strides and you actually go in, in circles. It'd be like putting a smaller set of tires on one side of your car. And so when you are unequally yoked, you don't live the path that you should. There's struggles and there's difficulties. But alternatively, when you find that person that has committed their whole life to Christ and demonstrates that same selflessness and trustworthiness and lifelong commitment that we talked about last week, rather than going in circles, we plow deep and meaningful furrows that will provide a rich and meaningful harvest for us and for the kingdom. This morning, I want to communicate that wherever you're at, married or single, that we have all an opportunity and an obligation to be of great service for the kingdom. In verse 17, Paul says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Paul is saying, wherever you find yourself, whatever relational status you're in, you matter and you have purpose and the Lord has called you to do work for his kingdom. So I want to encourage us, as we are a body of both single people and married people, not to think of the others as lesser than, but to think about how we together can lift each other up in a community and support each other in a grace-filled community to serve our world better. Last week, as I closed the sermon on marriage, I had all the married couples in the room stand so we could pray for them. And so, single people, this morning, I'm going to ask you to sit right where you are. I, I don't want to be that guy uh, who makes you stand this morning. But I do want to pray for you all the same. Uh, because I want to pray that I think there's kind of three stations of singleness that I think we can recognize and pray for this morning. Uh, some of you, I know, are maybe hurting. You are single, but it's not by choice. Maybe it's a divorce, maybe you are a widow or a widower, and you demonstrated for years what a healthy marriage looks like, and you poured your life into that, and you, your marriage served as a testimony for as long as your spouse was alive, and we want to honor that and to thank you for that. And to, as you're in this next stage of life of singleness, we want to lift you up and encourage you in that. For others of you, maybe you are yourself committed to singleness. 
to say, I, I'm not married and I'm not really looking to be married. Uh, I'm content and have the gift that Paul was talking about to remain single. And we want to encourage you in that commitment. I know others of you are, are searching, searching for spouses, searching for maybe purpose, searching for where you fit in as a single person. And I want to encourage you this morning that you are not spare parts and that you have a unique opportunity in this season of singleness, in this season of life, for however long that might last, to have an amazing impact for God's kingdom in a way that maybe your married counterparts can't. And so I just want to encourage you to wait on God's timing and to pursue Him first and foremost. After we pray for you this morning, we'll have our uh, invitation song. I'm going to be uh, up front. If you just want prayer, if, if you want somebody to talk to you, if you have a decision to make, uh, we'd love to talk with you during that time. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. And for those uh, who are single in this room, I want to just pray a special blessing on them today. Just as we prayed a blessing over the marriages in the room last week, we want to recognize that singleness comes with advantages and, and giftedness and opportunities that maybe marriage doesn't afford us. And so, God, I want to pray for those who are in this room and uh, have lived out their marital vows and, and faithfully done so, but now find themselves single, and to encourage them and pray for your comfort on them. As they've lost a spouse, uh, maybe to an unfair divorce that they didn't want, or, or a death that, uh, God, they were still faithful in the midst of that. And so I pray that in the station that they find themselves, they would continue to be faithful in pursuing you. God, for those who have just kind of made that commitment to remain single for the benefit of the kingdom, and they have that giftedness and that strength, God, I just want to pray uh, and, and thank you for, for them, for their ability to just pour their lives wholeheartedly in singular devotion to you. And God, as they make that commitment, I want to pray that they would remain pure and honor that commitment. For those in this room that are looking to find that right person and to find that counterpart in marriage, God, I pray that you would bless their search as they search in a way that is in accordance with your word, that they would do things your way, trying to find a fellow believer whom they can be better together with than they were on their own. God, I pray for the marriages and singles today as we come together as one body, that we would do so recognizing the sacrifices and the selflessness and uh, the mutual support that we need to give each other as we work together in this community that's called the church. God, I pray that we would model Jesus' sacrifice and his service and the grace that he gives, that we would do that for others in the ways that we seek to serve, not just in our church, but in our world as well. God, bind us together as a strong community so that we might see your kingdom further. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.